Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Predictably Treacherous Podcast. This season, we'll be looking at Banachek, and today's episode is the pilot episode, Detour to Nowhere. This episode was directed by Jack Schmidt and written by Anthony Wilson. The original air date was March 20th, 1972. So before we get into the episode, let's get into the background of Banachek. Here's what Wikipedia had to say about Banachek. Banachek is an American detective TV series starring George Pappard that aired on the NBC network from 1972 to 1974. The series was part of a rotating NBC Wednesday mystery movie anthology. It alternated in its time slot with several other shows, but was the only one of them to last beyond its first season. Also from Wikipedia, um, the article is now the NBC mystery movie. So quote, The NBC mystery movie is the umbrella title of an American television series produced by Universal Studios that was broadcast by NBC from 1971 to 1977. At times, it was divided into two versions that were broadcast concurrently during different nights of the week, the NBC Sunday mystery movie and the NBC Wednesday mystery movie. The NBC mystery movie was a wheel show, in quotes, or umbrella program, in quotes, that rotated several programs within the same time period throughout the season. For its initial 1971-1972 season, it featured a rotation of three detective dramas that were broadcast on Wednesday nights for 90 minutes, from 8.30 to 10 p.m. in the Eastern time zone. The three original 1971-1972 season shows of the NBC mystery movie were McLeod, Columbo, and Macmillan and Wife. So we've done Columbo here on season one, of course, and we'll get back to it um, probably shortly after Banachek. So the article continues, quote, The Umbrella series was counted a great success in its first season and finished at number 14 in the Nielsen ratings for the 1971-1972 season. Columbo was nominated for eight Emmy Awards and won four categories. The success prompted NBC to move the series to the competitive 8.30 to 10 o'clock Sunday evening time period for the second season as the NBC Sunday mystery movie. In addition, a fourth show was added, Heck Ramsey, I've never heard of that, to the rotation lasting two seasons, 1972 to 1974. NBC also launched a clone of the Umbrella series, the NBC Wednesday mystery movie which debuted in the original time period and featured three new programs, Banachek, Cool Million, and Madigan. I've never heard of Cool Million or Madigan. They sound great, though. During the 1973-1974 season, the programs rotating on Sunday remained the same, while on Wednesday, Cool Million and Madigan were canceled, and Banachek rotated with three new series, Faraday and Company, Tenafly, and the Snoop Sisters. Rescheduling to Tuesday nights as the NBC Tuesday mystery movie during January 1974 was not enough to help boost ratings, and the midweek series was cancelled. The Sunday series continued, anchored by the popular trio of Columbo, McLeod, and McMillan and Wife. During subsequent years, these rotated with a fourth series which changed each year, 1972 to 1977, including Amy Prentice starring Jessica Walter. McCoy, starring Tony Curtis as a professional con man. 
Quincy M.E., starring Jack Clodman as a medical examiner in the L.A. County coroner's office. Uh, you know, Jack Clodman, I just, I, I don't know what it is about him. I just can't stand him. I hated that show, Quincy M.E. I had to suffer through a Twilight Zone episode today. It's a season five episode. A bunch of guys go into space and they land. Anyways, Jack Klugman's like the captain of the ship. He's insufferable. I don't know what it is about him. Um, I don't know why Twilight Zone did that. Season one through four, they're all like the 20-ish, 23-minute episodes. And then suddenly in season five, they're all 50 minutes. And um, Twilight Zone, that's, that's the wrong format for the Twilight Zone. Because the thing that makes Twilight Zone really cool is you go into an episode thinking, oh, what's what's going to be the story in this one? What's the what's the big idea they're going to explore? They explore the idea, and then basically you just you wait for the twist at the end. You're like, okay, what's going to happen at the end? What's the twist going to be that's going to get me? So that's great for a 23-minute show, but when you make it a 50-minute show, um, there's a lot of pipe, a lot of filler in the middle that you're just trying to get through to get to the twist at the end. It's just unnecessary. So I think they go back to 20-ish minutes in season six. I haven't watched it yet, so I don't know. Incidentally, that episode I was watching this morning with Klugman, it also has um, Buddy from the Columbo episode, season one. Uh, the guy who's the art critic. I forget. It doesn't matter. He's in it. Um, so what else we got? Lanigan's Rabbi, which is the fourth show about a small-town police chief, Art Carney, and his best friend, a rabbi, an amateur sleuth, Bruce Solomon, based on Harry Kemelin's popular rabbi small series, uh, mysteries. Okay, of all the Wheel series, only the original three, Columbo, McLeod, McMillan, and Wife, survived the entire run of the mystery movie. Most of the others were very short-lived, and with the exemption of Heck Ramsey and Banachek, were all only on the air for one season. Quincy M.E., which is terrible, um, was the next-to-last new mystery movie series to premiere. Ended up outlasting the parent series itself. Midway through the final mystery movie season, Quincy was taken out of the wheel lineup and retooled into a one-hour weekly series that ran for seven more seasons, coming to an end in 1983. Although the mystery movie series was canceled at the end of the 1976-1977 season, NBC kept Columbo in production, and a seventh season consisting of five films premiered on November 21st, 1977. After the fifth film aired in May 1978, NBC canceled Columbo as well. Terrible idea. Now, Columbo was revived in the 80s, and it's almost unwatchable. I have watched them. Um... But I didn't enjoy them and I haven't rewatched them. I haven't watched any of them more than once. But I'm, I have an urge inside me to revisit them. And I may do them on this show. That's the broader context of where Banachek fits in with the other mystery shows of this time. So now let's take a little bit more of a closer look at Banachek itself. So George Papard, born 1928 and uh, died in 1994 of pneumonia while battling lung cancer. It's not surprising because he uh, liked to smoke it up in Banachek and he was always chomping on cigars in the A-team. So he's married five times, had three children, had kind of an up and down career, had a lot of 
junk TV and movies, but um, I think his biggest roles were Breakfast at Tiffany's, 1961, um, which I like that film. I know a lot of people either love it or hate it, um, and I think it's mostly because of the, um, the, the the racial thing in it, where where Buddy is uh, supposed to be the Chinese landlord, um, and I, you know it's a long time ago, so that that happened more in shows but i think some people they just they just can't take that now they're too offended by it the social justice warriors so um it's not great i mean it's it wouldn't be it definitely wouldn't be right if someone did that now but with these older movies older shows there's going to be a bit of overt racism and uh, you just got to get over it so um hopefully you're not too offended by that breakfast at tiffany's yeah there we go uh banachek obviously the A-team, as mentioned. Um, sounds like he battled with some alcohol problems throughout his life. And um, his career, man. Just, I mean, that's not that much. Okay, Ralph Manza as Jay Drury. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know why I like this show. I, I do like this show, but when going through the characters, I'm realizing that, like, I, didn't really, I don't really like anybody who's in it. Um, anyways, okay, Ralph Manza is Jay Drury, born 1921, died 2000. He's a character actor. He had over 160 appearances in film and TV. He's married to the same person for 52 years. Murray Matheson as Felix Mulholland, born 1912, died 1985, various TV and film. I don't know any of these actors from any other shows. Christine Belford as Carly Kirkland. I like her. She's got a nice little look. Uh, born 1949, still alive. Married. Various TV. Again, I, I don't think I've seen anything that she's in. Um, music by Billy Goldberg. Uh, so we'll come back to that. Various TV and film for Billy Goldberg. Okay, so let's take a look at my, um, you know, I'm going to sound grandiose here, my theory of Banachek. Just like in Columbo. Um, it, it's not a theory, but I just call it that. It follows a very repeatable pattern uh, like a Daniel Steele novel or a Tom Clancy novel it just, or a Stephen King novel I mean it just follows the same kind of pattern all the episodes follow a pattern basically so first thing the crime uh, we are as the audience are shown the crime but we don't know what happened okay so in Columbo you're shown the crime you know exactly what happened for the most part um, and in this you don't know what happened you see the crime and you're like what happened what 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 happened? I don't get it. Um, okay, next part, the Banachek intro. So in Banachek, the intro is he's doing something wonderful or with a beautiful woman. So you're meant to um, right away know that Banachek, he's top notch. He's a Superman. Unlike Columbo, where he comes in and he's always doing something bumbling or his car's breaking down or someone's making fun of him because of his car. So now the Banachek investig uh, the investigation part of the program. So Banachek investigates the mystery. So the following kind of tropes occur in episodes. Not all of them in every episode, but many of them in many episodes. So Felix provides counsel. Okay. So his friend Felix Mulholland, who runs the bookstore, Banachek will call him up and get him to tell him some information about some totally obscure topic or something that there's no way he should know, like information about how armored cars are built and stuff like that. Um, so that's a trope of the show. Another trope is the Polish proverb. 
In every episode, he, uh, Banshek provides a Polish proverb that is supposed to lend some insight into an aspect of the crime, but it's also silly and amusing. The next uh, trope, Jay guesses wrong. So Jay Drury, the chauffeur, will uh, be like, hey boss, uh, I've been thinking about this and I think I know what happened to the crime. And he has some pet theory. And uh, it's always wrong. It's silly. Another trope is Banachek with the physical skills. Um, at some point during the episode, he usually will display his physical skills, like he'll get into a fight or something athletic. Or it's ridiculous because he doesn't look the part at all. Um, that happens. The ladies' man trope. Um, he's, there's always some lady fawning over him or... Um, there's women. There's too many good-looking women all all over him and that want him. And then the name, Banachek's name. So people mispronounce Banachek's name, and it's a trope of an episode. Oh, and it annoys Banachek that that happens. Um, and then, of course, the last kind of big segment of each episode is the big reveal. Um, you're going to have a mystery show. you got to have a big reveal. You can't leave the audience hanging. So at the big reveal, Banachek explains the entire crime to a room full of episode stakeholders. All right. Okay, so let's get to today's episode, which is the pilot. Detour to nowhere. When an armored truck under police escort carrying 1.6 million in gold bars goes missing... Banachek travels to Vantage, Texas to try and recover the property and collect the 10% on offer from Meridian Insurance. The Crime So the episode opens with an armored car being escorted by police through the desert of Texas to the Oklahoma border. The police in the trailing car call the Oklahoma escort waiting a few miles ahead on the other side of the Oklahoma-Texas border and ask if they can see their caravan approaching, but they can't yet. Then we see a sniper on a hill with a metal bracelet uh, with writing on it, and he shoots out the tire of the trailing cop car, and it skids out. So inexplicably, the armored car continues on and pulls away, even though their escort spun out behind them. That seems a little ridiculous. The cops with the blown out tire change it, change the tire, and speed after the armored car that is now out of sight. The Texas escort again contacts the Oklahoma escort waiting at the border, and they can't see the armored car that should be in sight by now. The pursuing cops, uh, the Texas ones, and the escort cops uh, drive towards each other, and they meet at, at in the middle, and there's some barrels on the road blocking the road um, it's near the town of vantage and then we see the armored car tracks leading off the road and into the desert so the camera from like a helicopter shot follows the tracks that lead to a steep valley and then we see the two bodies of the armored car drivers just all broken on these on the rocks um, and the armored car is nowhere in sight the banachek intro
Okay, so you hear it. That's the Banachek theme music with Banachek rowing in a river uh, while the intro music plays. So then we get shots of Boston in the winter. This may be in the top three to five for most uh, worst theme music in a show in history. Uh, And I think this makes a big difference. Um, Think of your favorite shows. Um, and when the theme starts playing and you start singing along or humming along and you're all in, that just doesn't happen here. This is a terrible theme. It sounds awful. Murder, she wrote, knew how to do it. Golden Girls knew how to do it. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. And if you threw a party, invited everyone you knew, you would see the biggest Gilmore Girls knew how to do it. If you're out on the road, feeling lonely and so cold, all you have to do is call my name and I'll be there on the next train. Where you be, I will follow anywhere that you tell me to. Vice definitely knew how to do it. see, maybe that's why Banachek is all but forgotten now. So Banachek drives his fancy 1941 Packard Darren convertible, according to an article in the uh, Daily Drive, into his gated home. Inside, he opens the mail, 
looks like he has a subscription to the Vantage Sentinel newspaper, which is ridiculous. Um, he also receives the daily assurance reports. Banachek circles an ad under recoveries and rewards and cuts out an article with some enormous scissors. His house looks like a country club. Now it's confusing. He pops an 8-track tape into a something like a VCR. Then he watches a news report on a TV that is revealed behind a painting on his wall. But then he seems to change channels to another news program that goes through the detailed minutiae of the entire crime and possible explanations for how it was carried out. I've never seen a newscast like this in my life. Let's listen to the clip. It's nearly two months now since the robbery, and neither the FBI nor the Texas police have made any progress in apprehending the criminals who obviously are professionals. In addition, no one has stepped forward to make a claim on the reward offered by the National Meridian Insurance Company for information leading to the recovery of the stolen gold. So far, the mystery remains as deep as the day it began. Here, the Texas police escort was disabled. And here, the Oklahoma police escort waited in vain for the shipment of gold to reach its border. And here, the roadblock of oil drums and the tire tracks leading to a dusty oblivion. All traces of the armored truck and its fortune in gold, $1,600,000, disappearing forever, apparently, here at the rim of a 600-foot chasm. Now, even assuming that the truck could have been transported somehow to this blacktop road, it did not return to the main highway, and it seems almost impossible that it could have passed through the town of Vantage in broad daylight without being noticed. So the report has way too much detail. It explains how the crime was carried out and frames the questions that the audience needs to think about and that Banachek will attempt to answer. Like, how was this crime committed? Who did it? Where did the armored car go? Banachek has this smug look on his face the entire time. The Polish proverb. So Carly Kirkland is a foxy little number who is pretending to be just someone that Banachek met at Felix's bookstore but she's actually an undercover agent with Meridian Insurance. She and Banachek are about to have dinner when Carly asks him what he thinks happened to the armored car in the robbery. And we get this proverb in response. There's an old Polish proverb that says, if your socks are not in your shoes, don't look for them in heaven. I think it suffered a bit in the translation. It just means it didn't really disappear. They just couldn't find it. Good Lord, why do I watch this show? The physical skills. So now in Vantage, Banachek meets with Earl Lewis, the one-man show running the newspaper. They go to a local bar to talk, and a drunk is wrestling with some guy, and the drunk bumps into Banachek and spills his beer. Banachek says the guy should apologize and pay for the beer. The drunk orders a beer and dumps it on Banachek's tweed jacket. Banachek gets up and does some ridiculous roundhouse backhand to the guy's kidneys, then an awkward backhand knuckles to the guy's nose, and the guy gets knocked out. I I can't believe that this scene made it into the final cut of the episode. Like, it looks ridiculous. The locals take the drunk away, and Banachek sits down. The bartender compliments Banachek on his moves, hands him a towel, and then continues on like nothing happened. Let's listen to the clip. 
You got some uh, good moves there, mister. Anyway, if you want to find out more about uh, Charlie Burns, then talk to the Indian. What Indian? Joe. It's ridiculous. Uh, oh, anyways, uh, you should talk to Charlie Burns, friend Joe Hawk. <laughs> no one calls the police or confronts Banachek because he just laid out a local or even rejects him from the, or ejects him from the bar for fighting. Everyone just moves on like nothing happened. It seems comical because it's so out of place and clearly meant to be serious. The bartender actually says, anyways, and then continues their discussion. Like it, It's such a manufactured scene. It's, it's, it's clearly just to show that Banachek is tough and he can, he can mix it up with locals and rednecks, uh, you know, even though he's suave and sophisticated and a ladies' man, he's not to be crossed. The ladies' man. So back at his motel, Carly is there waiting for him. She's in a nightgown. She's interested. Banachek tells her that he's not much for long-range plans, and Carly is okay with that because Banachek is supposed to be some babe magnet. Let's listen to the clip. To begin with, I don't think we're going to stop at small talk. That's a definite possibility. Then I better tell you I'm not much for long-range plans day-to-day -day at the outside. Well, I'm not leasing an apartment. I was right. It's going to be very good. Oh, boy. Okay. So, it's, it's just... It's silly, too, because leading up to this part, okay, so Carly was, as I said, mentioned earlier, that she was posing as an undercover, sorry, she was posing as just a regular person that was interested in Banachek, but then he exposed her for being an undercover Meridian insurance agent. She got pissed off and stormed out of his place. And now she shows up in his motel in her nightgown, like she's super interested. It's just, it came out of nowhere. And I, I don't know what the point was. It's like they wanted to have it both ways. They want Banachek to be a ladies man, but they also don't want him to be fooled by her. So he exposes her and embarrasses her, but then she can't help it. She's all over him anyway. It's a bit, it's a bit much. Okay. So Felix, the next part. So back at the hotel, Banachek calls Felix in Boston, so at some point back at the hotel. He asks him about the tribe of Native Americans that Joe belonged to. And Felix tells him that when they die, when members of this tribe die, they are buried with their weapons and jewelry. So Banachek pieces together that Joe and Charlie were using metal detectors to rob the graves of Joe's tribe when they stumbled upon the armored truck. So... Out of context, I mean, I'm not play-by-playing this episode, so if you haven't seen this episode, you're going to say, what, what the hell is all that about? Um, but it's, it's, it's to show that Banachek, he always calls Felix and gets some crazy, obscure piece of information that Felix has no business knowing, like information about this Native American tribe, um, and he uses it to help him solve the crime. It's an ongoing trope that happens in practically every episode. The Explanation so the explanation happens towards the end of each episode. This is where Banachek explains in the most smug way possible to a room filled with episode stakeholders exactly what happened. 
So we're at the sheriff's office. Banachek begins clearing off the desk so that he can demonstrate. He lays out some envelopes for a road and uses paper clips, a paper clip box, and erasers for objects in his explanation. So we're shown clips of the actual heist um, on screen mixed with clips of Banachek's explanations using the objects on the desk, all while hearing Banachek's voiceover. It's actually really well done. I, I enjoy the explanations in each of the episodes. They're good and they're absolutely necessary because most of the time throughout the episode where Banachek's investigating, you have no fucking idea what's going on. It's not like Columbo where you can kind of, you follow along, you're like, oh, I see how he's going to get the, the, uh, the, the villain here. I see how he's going to tie it all together. With Banachek, it's just he's investigating, he's investigating, and you don't know what's going on. And then suddenly at the explanation, everything's revealed. Um, okay, so there's a few important points. Um, the newspaper guy and Jessup used Holden's construction equipment from nearby storage yard to pre-dig a hole on one side of the road by the oil drum blockade. They covered it with brush to disguise it. The newspaper guy and Jessup approached the armored car once it reached the oil drum blockade. The guards were in on it. One guard gets out of the armored car and kills the other guard. Then Jessup kills the first guard. Okay, A dune buggy makes fake tracks on the other side of the road leading to the precipice. This draws attention away from the side with the hole. The truck was buried near the road because a heavy truck couldn't be driven too far out in the soft desert sand. So once the dune buggy gets to the cliff edge, it is removed with a small crane, which then sets the dune buggy down on the hard rocks where it could drive off without making additional tracks. Jessup and the newspaper guy were planning on getting the gold out later once the investigation dies down. Okay, so if you haven't watched the episode, that might not make any sense to you at all but if you did it's actually a pretty good explanation of what happened it's uh it's well done especially they cut in uh, as i was saying the uh, video clips of the actual crime going down along with banachek doing his little model on the desk and in his voice over the whole time so it's actually really well done okay the next scene uh it's a little mini trope here the next scene, we're shown a crane excavating the armored truck while a TV newsman is interviewing Carly. Uh, he tells Carly that her company's investigator did a great job. Uh, he thinks Spanishek works with the company. And she says, oh, he doesn't work with us. And um, the guy set, uh, mispronounces Banachek's name as Banasek. And Carly smiles. And then you get Banachek at the end saying, Banachek. And that's it. Um, yeah. So, and there you have it. Unintentionally amusing at points. So, some of the hallmarks of this show are Banachek's smugness, his male chauvinism, overly attractive women. This show is littered with overly attractive women. Uh, and, of course, turtlenecks. Banachek wears a... The man likes himself a turtleneck. I'll tell you that much. Um, and it kind of looks terrible. But he likes it. So I know I've been kind of hard on Banachek here. It's a fun show, to be honest. And I, I really have a thing for 70s shows, the mystery shows, and shows that are short-lived. And this one, two seasons. It's like eight episodes a season or something. I think it's like 14, 16 episodes total. It's really short. It's worth it. It's good. Check it out. 
Um, you know, if you're looking to buy it, your SOL, it's not available anywhere. Oh, for less than extortionate prices. I mean, on Amazon, I think it's like $400 or something. It's ridiculous. Just go illegally download it somewhere. Um, you're never going to get it from a library and rip it. So they'll never have it. Um, just go to YouTube, see if it's there. Uh, my downloading days are over. That's, that's not happening anymore. Um, yeah, I would look for it on YouTube and try and just download it from there or just watch it on YouTube or something. It's probably up there. Maybe I'll put it up one day. The intro music for today's episode was Sweeter Vermouth, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Check out the link in the show notes. Next week on the Predictably Treacherous podcast, let's hear it for a living legend. Episode 2, Season 1 of Banachek. Here's a brief summary. When a professional football player disappears during a game being broadcast on live television... Banachek is called in by the team owner, he's like a Jerry Jones type guy, to find the man and explain the mystery. Tune in next week. Thank <laughs> you.